Hello, welcome to the On Garden Design podcast with Fleur and Sachi, where we chat about what makes a garden great and we try to inspire and make designing accessible to anyone who is interested in gardens, plants and of course chatting. Your hosts are longtime friends Fleur and Sachi who bring a fresh perspective and their life experience to designing gardens as a second career. So hi, this is our first podcast. Hi, Serge. So um, we're going to have a bit of great topic today. We're going to talk about structure in the winter garden. But first of all, because it's our first podcast, we're going to introduce ourselves a little. So, Serge, you tell us a little bit about you. Well, I am a budding garden designer. I'm in the middle of doing my study, but I am a long-term gardener. And I originally did a botany degree way back when and have had a lifelong interest in gardens. And so I guess this is really an opportunity, this podcast, for me to learn a bit more, do a bit more research as I am studying and start to grow a business. How about you, Fleur? Well, I'm just a few years ahead of you, really. Uh, I did a big career pivot and uh, discovered the wonderful world of garden design, uh, changed careers and went and uh, did uh, university and TAFE studies in garden design and run my own business, Gardens with Fleur. So I'll be doing that for about three and a half years now. And I think it's great to have a podcast to share ideas, to get some more feedback from the community uh, and just to further our own professional development. Absolutely. And the foundational aim of this podcast really is for both of us that we're going to have fun while we're doing it. So it's not going to be too serious. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I thought it would be useful because we have been long-term friends to just give uh, listeners a bit of a sense of how we met and, um, and sort of, I guess, the depth of our friendship given that we are, you know, starting off and this is the first time we're talking to people. Absolutely. And I do remember you coming to the school as the new girl with the big red ribbon in your hair and uh, making quite a statement. So I think from day one, you've always been out there to say, ha ha, look at me. (laughs) I thought you were going to say that I was coming to school with the big glasses on because back then I was wearing big glasses. But the red ribbon is probably just as bad, I'd say. Um, Surprised at my colour choice way back then. And if I reflect... um, my first impression of you at school was she was the cool kid with the long blonde hair and she had these cool older brothers as well. <laughs> <laughs> the older brothers, it's always a draw card. Yeah, that's right. When you meet when you're in year nine, so it's right that time. <laughs> who's got exactly the older brothers right. and who's got an older brother that can drive a car? <laughs> of course, of course. Anyway, I'm sure we'll, um, we'll touch a bit more on our friendship as we go through this podcast, but how about we launch into our theme today? So Absolutely. structuring the winter garden. Fantastic. Well, you know, it is winter in Canberra right now because that's where we are and uh, it's a really fantastic opportunity to have a really good analysis of your own garden space. And it's not until you get to this stage in winter where you really look outside and you think, ugh, I just don't want to be out there. It's cold. It's damp. Especially the last few years, it's so damp. I did that just this morning and I was looking at the piles of leaves that I haven't raked up and I thought, oh, I have to go out there. And it really gets all of us. And I think there's this sort of ditch at the beginning of winter where you feel like, oh, you know, the garden's just gone into its resting stage. But it really is the time where I find it's the best opportunity to go out and assess your garden for what it is because it's just back to its bare basics. It's lost the spring bling. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, why? Why is it important? You know, I see people say oh, it's important to look at your winter garden. Well, let's talk about, first of all, why is that so? 
So what are some of your thoughts on that, Sarge? Yeah, and look, it's a really good question because, as I say, we've lost all the spring bling. We've lost a lot of the things that are in flower. Um, and really the bare bones of the garden are visible now. So it's, but that said, there are things that are doing really well right now and there's things that you can do to have winter interest and then you've got year-round interest in your garden. So for me, the why is a lot about making sure you've got interest year-round. The other piece though is, as I said before, (laughs) it's about something to lift the winter spirits when you're looking out at the bleak, you know, desolate wasteland that is winter often in our gardens. How about you? Yeah, look, that's so true. I relate to those. Um, you, you definitely need some interest or something to entice you out into the garden. But probably from a sort of design perspective, what we really want structure in the garden to do is to hold the garden together when that bling has gone. And it's to give the garden form, it's to give it uh, that you know the interest, it's to give it some attraction, but also to give it a structure, a real form that... Uh, um, makes the garden feel like it's a deliberate piece of garden. Yeah, absolutely. And at the moment, if I reflect on something that's quite practical so that people can envisage what we're talking about, my camellia, my evergreen camellia hedge, which lines my back fence, is in total flower. So while I've got no leaves on my crepe myrtles, I've got no leaves left on my um, my pear tree, my, crepe, um, my camellia hedge is just going gangbusters. It's the star of the show while everything else has, you know, gone by the wayside. So what are other ways that you would incorporate structure into a winter garden, Fleur, so that there's something there? Yeah, look, I think there's really three things that we can talk about here. The first one is, like you're talking about with your camellia hedge, it's about the plants. So with the plants, it's that uh, those that have foliage in winter – Um, and maybe it's the foliage colour, maybe it's the flower colour, maybe it's the flowering itself, and maybe it's the bark. And maybe it's the foliage texture as well. So I think we should um, certainly unpack plants um, in a chunk. And then the second thing we'll get to look unpack when we're thinking about what can we do is sculptures. And then the third thing we'll come to is hardscaped elements. But let's go back and talk about the plants because I think a lot of our listeners are really, when they think about form and structure in their garden in winter, they're thinking about plants. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I think it's really easy to get caught up in the, oh, what's green and shiny still, when there are so many other things that we can potentially be thinking about. And one thing that's always in my head when I'm thinking about this, it looks pretty average year-round other than in winter, is that um, cornice, which is the dogwood that has the bright red bark and also that Japanese maple that also has the bright red bark. So they've got no leaves, they've got nothing else, but they create this amazing bit of interest with a bright red um, trunk and stems and twigs. So some structure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think of my arbutus in um, Unido when I, when I think of bark as well. It's just got a terrific red bark that, in fact, only last weekend I did some cloud pruning on that because it does tend to shrub up during the year and it makes a really nice evergreen backfill. But in winter, you really want to see the bark. And so to be able to clip it out and let that bark be the star of the show is, Absolutely. Um, is they the sort of things we want to do in winter. Yeah, that's right. And, and I guess that's about then thinking what are the plants that you put around there and what does that foliage look like? And in foliage, it can be strappy, it can be large-leafed, it can be small-leafed, it can be different colours. And even evergreens have all sorts of different colours these days. So there's so much variety that you can have for a winter garden as well in foliage. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of the time we think of form, we're thinking of hedges. Yep. 
And uh, hedges are a really easy evergreen option. You know, the hedges do very well in Canberra. There's, you know, a number of different types of viburnum, of course, and the potosporum, camellias. Um, Eliagnus is a great one for winter because you've got that lovely silver under the leaf. Uh, and you know, uh, quite a few different uh, Escalonia ivi is another great hedge for Canberra. magnolias, even. And magnolias, yeah, yeah, they hedge up um, reasonably well. It's sort of an informal hedge. Yeah, yeah. And um, but also your little hedges, like oh, your. Yeah, um, and I tend to, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, default to people using the word, you know, box hedge, meaning yep. boxes. Yeah. Um, generally, boxes sempervirens or the um, ma- um, macrophylla. And um, a Japanese box. Now uh, the but otherwise, I think what's really good for cold climates and drought hardy is the Euonymus japonicus, which is the uh, Japanese spindle bush, the dwarf one. <laughs> I know, and it, I just don't like them. That's why I'm looking at you like I am. Well, for you know, some reason, they just don't roam a boat. <laughs> you know, the great thing is that they hold their green all year. They and do. And so one of the biggest um, complaints I have from clients is, why is my boxes turning orange? Because mm, they say, go bronzy in winter. Because they bronze yeah. off in winter. And I say, that's a perfectly normal state. And they say, but I want an evergreen hedge. And I say, well, that's what you don't get with boxes. Yeah. Um, so Euonymus is a great option if you want that. Now another one you might like, Sachi, because I know you obviously got um, a, a your Euonymus ist uh, <laughs> thing happening. <laughs> is um, perhaps you would go for something like Lanicera natida, which is another quite fine leaf, yeah. quite fast growing. I've got one in my little, garden. Little yeah, yeah, and yeah. they are hardy. This thing hardy. just lives yeah. through anything. Quite yeah. frankly, I also the star jasmine that I use um, as a, a hedge. It's a low growing thing and it spreads, but. You can shape it nicely as well and you get the benefit of fragrance and flowers the rest of the year. Yeah, star jasmine is a great one, very tough for their climate. Yeah, that's right, yeah. that's right. But let's also talk about um, – so it's not – actually, let's talk about some of the greys in there as well. So shrub forms. Yeah, yeah. And I think shrub forms are another terrific way to make um, clumps of uh, structure in your garden. I'm thinking here things like clipped wastringia. Um, Tucrium. Tucrium, definitely. Yep. Uh, also, rosemary clips beautifully. Yes. So having these kind of clipped spheres or other sort of topiary shapes. If you're into lots of effort no, and honestly, maintenance. Honestly, honestly, my <laughs> rosemary, I just clip that maybe once every four, three or four months. It's, yeah. It's very easy. I think anything that you clip more than once a year is a lot of effort. <laughs> <laughs> so, so for me, it's not so much the clipping, but there are plenty of things that mound really nicely without having to do that. The Daphne's for instance, Um, you know, and yeah, that's right. So you don't actually have to do a lot to them. Um, And um, I'm sure there's others which are just not coming to mind right now. I'll help you. Yeah, good. Lepreolepis, the Indian hawthorn, that mounds really nicely and naturally. Um, And actually, if you're also looking at some strappy ones, then perhaps like a uh, Liriope or Dianella or something like that. Agapanthus. Yeah, agapanthus. Yes. And in fact, I thought of a really good one because we've just talked only about exotics so far. Coria, dusky bells. A lot of the corias are really nicely naturally mounding and quite dense and don't need a lot of maintenance to maintain that shape as well. But one of the things I actually, because I was listening to something today and uh, succulents are all the rage. And I have to say, we we had a um, a couple of weekends ago, we went on a girls' weekend to Barrel and we saw a fantastic um, garden in winter at Redford Park Estate. And one of the things that was just beautiful to see was they used around their borders those little, and I, I don't know what they were, I can never tell succulents from others, but they were the little rosette ones, Echeveria or something like that. 
and they had done a beautiful border with those and that's year-round interest again and hardy as yeah low maintenance Mm. yeah they're beautiful uh in fact um i've got a few pictures to put on to accompany our podcast today for those who are very visual yeah, that's and a great can't idea. really work with just us describing. So if you want to see examples of structure in a winter garden, I'm going I'll have them posted on the Instagram that accompanies this podcast. And I think it's really useful because we do have some pictures of succulents in there and how one particular garden that I visited in New Zealand this one was called Welton House and it has these clumps of succulents that are in little pots and they're cascading down a set of stairs and it's a very effective way to have an evergreen feature almost as a sculpture down a set of stairs. And, and all year round. And all year round and it's um, really striking. And, of course, when succulents flower, they're quite magnificent as well. Mm. They put on quite a show. They do. And I guess um, the other thing, if people are interested in um, uh, sort of some structure in a winter garden, Retford Park that we were in in the Southern Highlands, Barrel, um, really good examples of those mounding um, grey-shaded leaves, foliage, clipped forms in this fantastic walkway uh, right out the front of the old house. It was really quite spectacular, a really good example of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think actually thinking of uh, Retford Park, there's some great examples of use of sculpture. And that's our sort of second point in uh, what you can do to add structure to your winter garden. So sculpture, is, you know, a lot of people will think of uh, sort of grand things when they think of sculpture, but sculpture can be... Uh, just a small interest point, a focal point. It could be a bird bath. It could be a, you know, a beautiful commissioned piece. Uh, it could be just some um, little bit of interesting artwork that your kids have done, but you mount on some posts. Could be a really crappy piece of uh, uh, what's it called? Ceramics that your friend did, and the colour didn't come out right, so they gave it to you. Hey, Flo. <laughs> Just as an aside, I'm a really lucky recipient of all of Suchi's off-cast because she's quite a sculptor and uh, I have to say some of her work is really beautiful and I always grab it and put it in my garden and it just adds a real little interest because people were walking along and they see something and think, huh, that's just adds some interest. <laughs> and I think Fleur's very kind because <laughs> <laughs> they really are my off-cuts when the glaze didn't work or something else didn't quite go right and, uh, yeah, it wasn't really my thing. Well, how fun is it to have a friend who, who thinks her own sculpture's no good so you can put it all in your own garden? I think it's a lot of fun. <laughs> well, I'm just hoping because I actually have uh, designed a piece for Fleur because she's got a place in her garden that needs a piece of sculpture to give it structure and a bit of height as well because it is something where you look immediately off her balcony and I have um, I've created this piece it needs to be fired but it is so delicate we have we've got this whole operation planned around it to get it fired so fingers crossed we'll give you an update on that one (laughs) and if it works because I am nervous as I have to say well you know it's so beautiful that I I know I will be treasuring it on my lap on our drive to Goulburn to. I don't think it'll it survive your lap. <laughs> oh, I think it'll be sitting sort of stuffed into the back with you know multiple cushions around it or something. I don't know how we're going to do it. Anyway, we will try. We will try. We will try. And I will um, 
look forward to sharing yes. the story of its firing and also um, its positioning in the garden. It's firing and possibly explosion. <laughs> oh, let's, not, let's hope it doesn't do that. Fingers crossed. Anyway, That's back beautiful. to sculpture, back to the sculpture. real stuff. So I've, I've also put on in some of the pictures that I, I'm going to post for this one is uh, there's the most beautiful garden that I visited in New Zealand um, and it was um, – Oh gosh, the name escapes me right now. But the um, one thing they had done is they had stripped. Uh, they they'd done a ring or a, a series of bay trees, and they'd stripped all the base off them, and just had basically like a so like a standard, like a standard, and turned into a standard. And the thing is, the way they had arranged them was in a circle shape, and it's like it was a little cubby house inside the sticks. But you, at your eye level, you could see straight through the sticks, looking into the garden beyond. But the, it created this sculptural effect that was – it's a living sculpture. And it was so interesting and it was so eye-catching. And I think sometimes you don't have to spend a lot of money on a fancy sculpture you know, or commission your friend to spend a lot of time <laughs> making a, a beautiful exploding piece of crockery uh, to have a really interesting effect. And uh, I – uh, so I just want to encourage a creativity out there to say, take what you have and don't be afraid to prune it. Yeah, or absolutely. It absolutely. Or play with it or do something interesting because only it takes another season. It'll all grow back if you don't like it. That's very true. And in fact, we saw really, something really similar again at Redford Park uh, where they had used bamboo in a similar way. It was a little pathway lined with bamboo. They'd stripped the uh, foliage off the base of the bamboo up to probably about our eye level, which is not very tall because we are both a bit vertically challenged, maybe 150 centimetres or so. And so there was this, again, this wall created through bamboo. From the outside, you could see it was this little stand of bamboo. And then on the inside, they'd actually use sculpture in the inside of that as well. And quite hard to describe when you don't have a picture in front of you. But again, an interesting way of using plants to create some interest that is not necessarily something you'd expect of a plant. It's not just the bare form of a plant because there are absolutely plants that in winter can look really sculptural too. So my uh, crepe myrtles in the backyard, they are just, both they've got beautiful bark in winter and they have a really lovely form against my camellia hedge, which is the evergreen. So again, that that form that your tree might make is might be enough for you in terms of a sculptural piece in your garden as well. Although you can be, you know, a bit fancy. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't have the energy. <laughs> yeah, there's a, and the great thing about standing in your winter garden is is looking out at different viewpoints and saying, where does my eye rest mm. when I stand on my deck? Or where does my eye naturally want to go to? And if it goes to a point where there's nothing to see... Or then, something crappy to see. Or something bad, that's mm. right. You know, you might just... Your eye might go straight to the um, part of a hedge and you're just looking at the hedge... That might be a perfect place to say, let's put something interesting there. Mm. Let's put a sculpture or a sculptural piece or something that's notable. It might just be a beautiful uh, urn that's not planted out, but just something that sits there that says, ah, oh, the eye goes there. And then that's a really great way to just test where the sculpture should go in your garden. That's a really good point. In fact, um, even a bird bath is a really nice way of – because you also get the movement and the life of birds coming to something as a little sculptural piece of interest as well. And I've used that a couple of times in my garden where I've got one that sort of sits somewhere and one that hangs somewhere. And they are both where your eye is drawn to 
And then you get this added value of having the birds there as well. Let's move on to hardscapes though, because they're a bit like sculpture, but not, I mean, they're even more than sculpture, really. So what, what are the things that you'd be thinking about in terms of structure in a winter garden and your hardscapes? And what do we mean by hardscapes? Yeah, well, let's think about um, the scope of hardscape. So when I think of the hardscaping, I'm thinking everything that's built. Yeah, so, so paths, yeah. walls. Well, if your path is built, you may have not a non-built path. True. Well, yeah. so is it hardscape? Is it so you got gravel on it? Oh, I guess, but it might just be a um, leaf fall path. Yep. So uh, if you're – so basically something that's built, so if it's got gravel, if it's got paving, uh, brickwork, uh, decking, any structures that you have in your garden, like an arbour – um, pergola, gazebo, summer house, you know, pool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, pond, spa. <laughs> yes, yes, anything like that, yes. And anything that's just not natural. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's – so there's a whole range. Now, in a – if you pick up a sort of, you know, modern magazine, you'll find that there's a lot of emphasis on landscaped, hardscaped features – and so you look at a award-winning gardens in modern, you know, sort of contemporary magazines. Mass or even like at the Melbourne projects. Garden Show, which was held not that long ago. Yes, although the garden show is now starting to have this uh, much um, a greater emphasis on meadow-style plantings and an abundance of layering and flowers and plants. It's sort of celebrating that. But um, there's this contemporary kind of, particularly in new suburbs, you see a tendency for mass amount of hardscaping because it is also low maintenance potentially as well which you've got to understand that some people might like absolutely and that's where hardscaping is a very beneficial i mean it's functional Mm. it's low maintenance uh and it is there all year round so it's static and it's you know it's like a plant's a are growing, dying, pruning, They're evolving flowering, all evolving, the time, changing. Yeah, yeah. There's this dynamic, 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 dynamic. Yeah, yeah, that it. one, that one. Everyone knows what we're trying to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, whereas hardscaping is not. Yep. And so, for a lot of people, they just want a garden built that's going to be functional and easy all year round, and that's you know, knock your socks off. That's it. That's um. You know, certainly a landscaper's best dream. But from a garden designer, it's a balance. And so every garden needs hardscaping uh, balanced with plantings, I so, think. And the plantings really soften hardscapes. They are the thing that bring the movement and the life and the softness and the colour often. Absolutely. But now I want to... Um, I want to refer once to refer to a client that I did have, which it was an older gentleman, and he invited me to his newly acquired apartment. He's really proud of it, and he said to me, "I've got this blank canvas out the back here, Um, you know, typical kind of courtyard style apartment sort of courtyard." And he said to me, "I want you to create a beautiful space that doesn't have anything living in it." (laughs) (laughs) And my question to him was. Why me? Like, why have you engaged a garden designer to create a non-living I almost think garden? he should have gone to an interior designer. Well, mm. interesting you say that. So it was challenging for me because I thought I, I don't do gardens without plants <laughs> and I don't do plastic plants. So this is going to be interesting. So what it was was a really great exercise in considering patterns, textures, patina, um, tiles, 
we did on caustic tiles, beautiful geometric designs and blending that in with um, different forms of hardscaping. And I did convince him actually to put the hardiest plant of all time, which I think is great for Canberra, the architectural form, low maintenance, which is the Cycad. Yeah. Um, Cycad Revoluta. Yep. And um, uh, in fact, the Cycast Revoluta. So the Sago Palm. Yes. Yep. And uh, are convincing to put those in because they are so hardy and we mulch them with pebbles, of course, because they're hard. <laughs> <laughs> they can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. Um, and anyway, at the end of the day, we had a really good looking courtyard because it was about bringing in textures, um, different pattern arrangements with the hardscaping. Uh, repetition? Repetition, but yes, repetition of the plants and using the same kind of materials. Um, and also furniture and fixtures and fittings that were just sympathetic to that particular scheme. So when when um, people do want to have a lot of hardscaping and not a lot of plants, you can do it. Yeah. You've just got to think about the other elements like texture and pattern and rhythm and how you can incorporate them really effectively within a hardscape. So using other things than plants effectively to provide what a plant would normally do. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. So there's no rule on, you know, the composition of, you know, 30% hardscaping, 50% plants and 20% of sculptural areas or sort of um, other spaces. But uh, there's no rule like that. It's just about how well do you use the materials that you want that's going to function properly for the garden that you need? That's right. And I guess that goes back to what you were saying with those elements and the, the design elements that are ubiquitous for interior design and obviously garden design are those things about how you're using repetition, how you're, how you're unifying everything in your garden, how you're balancing that soft and hard feeling, even if it's not necessarily plants, um, and how you're using things like texture and form and structure to help with that. Yeah, look, absolutely. And really to sort of bring all this together, which is, you know, where your heading is with the how, how do we do it? Yeah. Uh, it really comes down to creating a pleasing composition of the parts. So when we, uh, uh, we, we've got to be truthful with ourselves in our own garden to say what are the functions and the feelings that I want from my garden and how do I put that all together so it's a bit like getting dressed in the morning (laughs) how my shoes going to work with my pants how my pants going to work with my jumper am I going to wear all one color am I going to have multiple colors is my texture on my jumper a bit bulky because I'm not going to have the same on my pants (laughs) I know it's a weird analogy. I'd have to say only you, Suchi, would have that analogy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was listening to a podcast where there was a garden designer who was really talking about how she identified sort of the chunks in the garden that she needed, you know, yellow about this size and this height, you know, green about this size and this height, rather than actually saying, I want a, you know, agapanthus, blah, 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 blah here. So she really did that looking at it from a very objective perspective and not thinking about the plants before she stuck things in place to make sure that the balance and how it worked and flowed was right. It really wasn't about the plants at that point. It was about how the parts came together. Yeah, and look, we're going we're gonna to address that in a whole other episode, which is about uh, the process yeah, of exactly. putting plants in because this, the process shouldn't be about plants at the front end. That's right. It's about what 
role does that plant need to perform? Therefore, I pick the plant according to the role. That's right. And I'm excited that I get to use my analogy about getting dressed yet again (laughs) (laughs) in the future. Certainly, certainly, certainly. (laughs) So wrapping up, Fleur, um, I wanted to ask you, what are the top three things in your garden that you think add that structure to the winter garden really effectively? Yeah. Um, You're talking about in my garden? Yeah. Right. Okay. So um, in my garden, I've got a really strong symmetrical focus from my Very formal. main view. It's, it's it's formal meets cottage. Yeah. So there's formal elements, but in the garden beds, it's very spilling. Uh, so, of course, this time of year, the garden beds are a little bit uh, flat because it's got a lot of perennials and cottage in them. Um, however, what holds that whole garden together is the formal structure and it's the small uh, clipped hedges uh, as well as the larger hedges. And so there's this really strong skeleton Um and so that the hedges are definitely one. The second one would be the arbor, which is a structure. It's a you know it's a hardscaping structure, yeah. and the eye goes straight to that in yeah. winter. And it's a really strong point, even without the grape when it's like it's all in its um because Fleur's got a grapevine that grows over her arbor, and that's obviously leafless in winter. That's right. So the structure itself is really um, good to look at. Yeah, and it's always there. It's a very strong point. And the third one would be. Uh, my cycads in the urns. Yes. And they're just so architectural and they're beautiful and they really have their moment where they're really sitting up and proud in winter and very green and glossy. So I love them. I'm going to look at those three things next time I come over just to, <laughs> to make sure that you're on the money. <laughs> okay. I guess I should bounce that question back to you. What are your top three? So my top three, well, mine is also my hedges because my camellia hedges really come into their own in winter. They're flowering at the moment. They're just stunning. Uh, the other one would be my um, my I guess the the uh, the trees the deciduous trees that have lost their leaves but have that fantastic bark as an interest. So I've got the and I get this wrong all the time the singaku kaku <laughs> the khaki the khaki maples kaku that's it <laughs> with the red the red coral bark maples. Yes. And then I've also got some crepe myrtles uh, in a in repetition in my garden and they have spectacular form and. Uh, bark as well and the final one is my agapanthus because they provide this really coarse strappy bright green texture against things that are not necessarily looking their best in the winter as well so they're my three yeah so i guess from now to wrap up we really invite the listeners to go out and have a look at your winter garden that's a great idea really assess it have a look at what uh, is giving it structure and what is giving you joy in winter and, and think about the plants that you have in there, the sculptures and also your hardscaping. And what you might change. And that's it. That's what winter's about is what you're going to change. That's exactly right. Well, moving on, what have we got planned for next week, Fleur? Well, actually, we've our next week we're really going to give you some basics and that is some of the questions I often get asked is about the different landscape professionals uh, in the industry, because it can be quite confusing. So we're going. I'm going to talk about uh, which landscape professional is right for your project. Oh, that sounds really good. I'm really interested in that one as well, because I'm sure I'm going to learn some stuff. We might wrap up though. Great. It's been great. Absolutely. Until next time. Until next time. See you later. Bye.